Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day. Thank you that you draw us here, Lord, that you've drawn this time and set it apart, Lord, for us to worship you. Thank you, Lord God, for rousing us this morning, for bringing us to proclaim your name, to lift you up in praise. Lord God, we come as broken, needy people, Lord, needing you to speak to us, Lord, to speak into our hearts. And we pray that you would do that this morning. Lord God, that you would reveal yourself to us powerfully, that we might trust you and love you. We pray, Lord God, that through your word you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, and that you would help us to be faithful in proclaiming it. And Lord, we pray that you would speak today to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. Morning. It is great to see you all this morning. Well, as you know, um, my car is always a saga. Right? There is always something going on with it. So it's the old 68 Land Cruiser. Uh, and as I told you a while ago, I'd hoped to get a new engine, and that engine turned out to be full of water. Or actually, and if, actually it was water. It was rainwater down in the oil pan, uh, which was not what I was looking for. So I left that engine uh, weeping on a slab in Sacramento, and I found another one, though. Found one. Hallelujah. Right. Got it home. Got it put up on the engine stand. It's looking all nice. Now, in order to put that in my car, what did I need to do first? Take the old one out, right? You guys ever pulled an engine before? Yes. It is all joy. It is all joy. I mean, there's almost nothing not fun about it. So I got it all unbolted. I unbolted the um, bell housing from the back of the engine. Had to unbolt, like, the inside of the car that, you know, that covered the tunnel that covers the transmission. I had to pull that all out so I could get in there. Unbolted all the wiring, or undid all the wiring, undid all the connections, the motor mounts. All of that had the motor kind of like, it was kind of swaying there, hanging off the, the um, motor jack, the engine lift, engine hoist. And was trying to pull it out. Pull it out, right? It was, there was a little, like I could tell it was unbolted because it was a gap around the whole bell housing between the engine and it, right? It was loose and you could swing it around like a loose tooth. But just like a kid working on that loose tooth, I kept pulling and it wouldn't come out. And I kept doing it over and over again. I would crawl underneath and make sure everything was unbolted. And I'd crawl inside the engine compartment and make sure everything is unbolted. And I'd check everything over and over and over again. Nothing. Nothing. I had it all unbolted all Wednesday afternoon and could not get the thing out. I pulled so hard. I had like pry bar in there. I had all kinds of things trying to get it loose and it wouldn't come out. The good thing was the longer I worked, the more full of joy I felt. <laughs> right? I just found it like peace like a river coming out of me. I mean, it was just like happiness and contentment. I couldn't believe what a treat it was, right? To be able to yank on an engine. Have you ever pulled one of those things? They're really heavy. They weigh like 500 pounds, right? So you're trying to, you're like leaning over your car, trying to, I was so upset. I was so upset. Finally, I was spared by, from my upsetness by the fact that I had to go to a joyous vestry meeting. Right, which allowed me to kind of leave that other stuff behind and go and rejoice with the vestry. So the engine languished there in my car, waiting, 
Wait. I tried all my strength of will and strength of arm, strength of mind. I couldn't figure it out. It was stuck. In the Old Testament passage for today, we have the calling of Moses by the Lord at Mount Horeb, which later will be called Mount Sinai. Moses is there shepherding the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro, apparently Midian's a lot like Oklahoma, right, with Jethro there. And so Moses is there minding his own business, and what does he see? Up from the ground a bubbling crude, right? Oh wait, no, that's not it. That's the wrong story. What does he see? What does Moses see? A burning bush. That's right, the burning bush. And this burning bush is unique from other burning bushes. Why? It's not being consumed, right? We see lots of things on fire in California, right? But this bush is different because it's not being consumed. It is burning and burning and burning, but not consumed. And so Moses has this great line. He says, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. I love it. He's a practical thinker, right? He says it, and he does it. But as he approaches this burning bush, not only is it not consumed, but something else is different too, right? Because we hear the Lord speak from it. And the Lord says, Moses, Moses. He calls him by name. Calls him by name. And tells him to take off his shoes, his sandals, right? Uh, Why? The ground he is standing on is holy ground. Holy ground. It's holy because the Lord is there. And we can assume that Moses immediately complies, which is a good policy, my friends, when the Lord speaks to answer. Then the Lord identifies who he is. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Lord identifies himself as the God of Moses' forefathers, the one who led them to the promised land, the one who blessed them and protected them, the God who acts and defends and is with you. Moses responds to this in a unique way, right? Because what does Moses do when he hears the Lord speak? That's right, he hides his face. He hides his face. Why would Moses hide his face when God speaks? When God reveals himself, and when you see even this tiny sliver of the glory, the beauty, the power, the holiness of God, it does two things. One, it shows you who he is, shows you who God is. You get this little glimpse of his power, like looking through like a keyhole. Get the little glimpse of it, but you also have something revealed about you, right? And that is you see that you are not God. Right? When you see him, your own brokenness is revealed. Your own um, failings are brought to the forefront. And you realize that God is God and we are not. And Moses had a few things to reflect on, didn't he? Right? Seeing how did he get to Midian? He murdered a man, right? He murdered an Egyptian. And then tried to hide his body in the desert. And then when Pharaoh found out about it, found out about it, he ran off and hid. Right? So he's got murder on his rap sheet. Is that a big deal? That's a big deal. Right? And so he covers his face when the Lord speaks. The Lord doesn't wait, though, for Moses to get comfortable. 
Instead, he moves forward with the purpose of this meeting. The Lord says, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. The Lord has come down. That's pretty radical. And to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God himself is coming to deliver them. He has heard the cry of the Israelites. He has heard them groan under the yoke of oppression. He has seen the injustice which they labor under. And he is coming to set them free. Now remember how the Israelites got to Egypt? Right? They didn't start there originally, did they? Right? They were in the promised land. And then um, there were these brothers, right? these 12 brothers. And one of them had a cool coat. Joseph, that's right. Joseph had that cool coat. And his brothers were jealous. He was like the favored son, which is not a good way to parent. uh, Because uh, he just created this strife and enmity between him and his brothers. He also had a penchant for having these dreams from the Lord about how his brothers were, were bowing down before him. And do you think his brothers, his older brothers especially, liked this? No, not at all, especially when Joseph spouted out and told them. What do you dream? Ah, I dreamed you were all bowing down to me. What do you think, guys? So uh, one day they're out in the field and Joseph comes out to see how they're doing and they come up with a great idea. What's their idea? It's not sell him yet. Kill him. The first idea is let's kill him, right? If you've got a brother you don't like, you might as well knock him off. It's like the mafia, right? So they have that plan, then they decide, well, let's not kill him, we'll just throw him in this pit, right? Because he's our brother, right? So they throw him in this pit or this well, and he's down in there, and they need to stay, they're throwing your brother in a pit works up an appetite, so they decide to eat lunch. So they're sitting there eating lunch, and as they're eating lunch, these traders come by, and they decide, guys, this is our brother, our flesh and blood. We shouldn't leave him in this pit. We should sell him into slavery and make some money. Right? Because this is what family means. Right? And so that's what they do. They sell him into slavery, and he is then taken down into Egypt by these traders, where through a series of what seem like terrible circumstances, he ends up in Pharaoh's courtroom. He ends up there in the throne room of Pharaoh, And he ends up being the number two in Egypt, second in command. And he is the one who shepherds Egypt and the rest of the known world through seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And during those seven years of famine, his entire family is brought down to join him in Egypt. And they are given the best part of the land in which to live. And that is where they settle. It's in that best part of land, in Goshen. And so things go really well until the book of Exodus begins. And in the book of Exodus, we have a new pharaoh. And this new pharaoh doesn't remember who? Joseph. Doesn't remember Joseph. Doesn't know about him. Doesn't know about the way he defended and saved the whole nation and the whole known world through his wisdom and generosity. He's forgotten about him. And so he sees these Israelites as a threat, right? There's so many of them. What if they want to, like, join our enemy, like the neighboring armies? What happens if they betray us? And so he makes them all slaves. 
makes them slaves. And then he comes up with a plan to kill, have their firstborn, or have their sons killed, right, by drowning them in the river. And then one particular son is delivered, right, in the basket in the river, found by Pharaoh's daughter, is raised in Pharaoh's household. And that's Moses. Moses. Okay, so here's how, that's how it all worked. There's your backstory there. The Lord will save them from this slavery and this oppression. He will deliver them, and he will use Moses to carry it out. The Lord says, The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh and bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses' reaction reveals the deepest of faith. Right? Because he says, Yes, Lord. Yes, I am your man. Send me. Here I am. Send me. No, what does Moses say? Who, me? me? You've got to have the wrong Moses. Right? Maybe you're talking about Moses. He lives down the road, a hundred so miles. He's like convinced that this, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. You see in that, this one word repeated two times. I. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Moses has completely misunderstood the Lord's call to him. Because remember, the Lord said earlier, I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. The Lord has come down to deliver them. But when the Lord asked Moses to participate in this plan, Moses sees it all about him. And he's like, I'm not worthy. I can't do that. I've never done any delivering in my life. Right? Are you kidding me? This is not me. Are you sure you have the right guy? But the Lord doesn't let this carry on. He expresses to Moses the reality that it's not really about Moses. God says, I will be with you. And that is why this will work. I will be with you. I will be the one giving you words doing the deeds of power, revealing myself, directing you. Moses, you just need to be available. Now, if you know the rest of the story, if you've read the book or seen the movie, you know that there was quite a bit of wrestling still in Moses. He wrestled with this call for his entire ministry. Right? He was always complaining about something, like, who are these people you've given me? Where is this place you've taken me? You know, How come there's no onions? Right? It's a difficult thing, right? This ministry that the Lord calls him to. But the reality is that the Lord had a plan and was going to carry it out. It would be the Lord's words, the Lord's strength, the Lord's vision, the Lord's love, and the Lord's mercy that would lead to the deliverance of the Israelites. Moses needed only trust, receive, and follow. Well, in our lives, we need only trust, receive, and follow as well. And I experienced this Wednesday when I was so frustrated. Right? Not in the midst of my frustration. It took place after the vestry meeting, later on in the evening, after I'd eaten something and spent some time praying, asking the Lord what was going on and to deal with that feeling I had in me of turmoil, that frustration. It's not till I had put down the tools and left that all behind 
and had been speaking to the Lord for a while, that he, I swear he put this in my head. He said, Seth, you forgot to unbolt everything. (laughs) Right? Why couldn't I have thought of that earlier in the day? I have no idea. But suddenly, as clear as day, I saw the underside of the engine and saw that thing I'd crawled under every time, like at least 18 times I was under that engine that day. This thing, if you ever have to do this, you'll know. There's a thing called the inspection cover underneath the bell housing. It's a little lightweight, like stamped steel piece. Four little bolts. It hangs onto the transmission, and it hangs onto the bell housing, and the flywheel was catching against that every time I tried to pull it. So I could pull it a little bit, but not enough. It couldn't come off. So I went in there, and those four tiny little bolts unscrewed those things, and the engine just slid right out. The grace of God, hallelujah, right? What do you know? See it in big ways and in small. I needed his guidance. I couldn't figure it out. I confess to you, I couldn't figure it out. It's not easy to stand up and say I'm a total idiot, but that's what I was, right? It was right there in front of me. Should I have seen it earlier? Should I have seen it? Yeah, I should have seen it, but I didn't. I couldn't. I just was not able to. I needed the Lord's guidance on that. It was not within my strength or power to be able to do it that day. I needed to trust that the Lord was in charge. Like Moses, we need to trust in the Lord to guide us. This is the reality for Moses, and it was the reality for the rest of Israel as well. They needed to trust in the Lord, to trust in him to receive his word, and to follow him. Fortunately for us, Moses is not the last leader we see in the, in, the God, in the Bible. We have Jesus Christ revealed to us, the true Moses, the one who never complained about his position, the one who didn't try to shirk his duties, the one who was faithful to the end. And he didn't lead Israel like Moses through the waters of the Red Sea, Jesus led by walking up a hill with a cross on his shoulder. And on that hill, he was crucified. And as his blood poured out and his life ebbed, our life was guaranteed. May we trust, receive, and follow this Lord. May we trust in his words about us. May we trust in his words of salvation and hope. May we receive his grace which he has offered to us freely. And may we follow him as he leads us in this world. May we serve him, caring for those he cares for, the hurt, the broken, the lonely, the lost, the needy, the hungry. May we reach out as he gives us strength to do that and serve with joy, always remembering, though, that we must trust, receive, and follow. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the great deliverer, Lord, and that you work in our lives not only in the big things, not only in those big moments, Lord, when we have epiphanies that transform our lives, but also in the simple things, like four bolts that we can't figure out how, where they are or what they do. 
Lord, thank you that you do not leave us on our own in this world, but that you are with us always. And we pray, Lord God, for your continued guidance in our lives. We pray that you would fill us, Lord, with your hope, your mercy, and your love, that you would help us to accept your message of salvation, and that we would go out in this world seeking to proclaim your goodness and your life. Lord, that you would give us winsome voices, the ability to express the life that is ours in you, Lord, in a way that is compelling and which connects with people in their lives. And we pray, Lord God, for your blessing on us, that you would watch over us. Lord, we need a guide. We need you to be our Savior, and we need you to show us where we should go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.